Hey everyone, Sarah here. I've got good news and bad news. The good news is, this is a really good episode. The bad news is, it's not for kids. You probably guessed that from the title, but just in case. And I just want to make something super clear here, that the witness you'll hear from today has discerned to share her story in this public way that is not in any way expected by anyone. Some people share anonymously, and some people share with those they're close to or at smaller healing events. So y'all know you do not have to be on a podcast. I think it's really important that anytime we talk about abortion, anytime, to any audience, wherever we are, that we also talk about healing and forgiveness, and that that's possible. Forgiving yourself and knowing that your children forgive you too, and God. I mean, it's all three. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today we're talking about healing after abortion. This is an incredibly sensitive topic, and one that reminds me of the reverence that we should have for each other's stories. I feel really humbled to have been entrusted with this one. It's a two-part episode. This is Andy. Andrea Pearson. Andy grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. Her dad died when Andy was two, and her mom remarried and had two more children, making Andy the middle child of five. They were all close. We are, my parents and my grandparents, devout Catholics, so I grew up in the church. Um, But I loved, at that time, the church and being involved as a young teenager. Um, I was into music, so I would play the organ. I was in the choir. So it was nice growing up in the town. Andy's family lived on top of a hill overlooking the Susquehanna River. There were only a few other houses up there, and it was beautiful. When the kids were little, they would visit their grandparents who were close by. Andy's love of music grew. High school, I really didn't date much. I was so consumed by my music because I loved it so much. I would be at my music teacher's studio all day. In the summertime, I was there. My stepdad would drop me off in the morning, and he'd pick me up on his way home from work. So I just really devoted my time to that. She wasn't sure what direction to go in. She loved music so much, and she was interested in healthcare. So Andy decided to stay at home and started a local college to figure things out. As high school graduation approached, Andy met someone. I met this young man who uh, we just just really clicked talking, and he enjoyed the same things I did. He was into music, so we loved going to shows and concerts, so we really connected right away. So we started to date. Andy is 18, and this was it. This was love. Like in the movies. The spark, the connection shared interests and passion for music. We had a good relationship. I thought he was the one. And of course, that young, I really didn't know what love really was. But at 18, you think you do know what love is. Andy and this man, I'll call him John, spent a lot of time together. Her family knew him, he would pick her up at the house, and things got serious. And over a period of time, 
I sort of let those feelings consume me and take over. And in that one moment, I always say I've lost that unique treasure given to me by God. And at that one moment also changed the really the whole course of my life. I felt different. My body felt different. There's something, you know, there's different signs. You know what they are. And I did miss my period. My mind started racing and I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm tense. <laughs> and then I decided to go buy a pregnancy test. And sure enough, fear just ran through my entire body. And I kept thinking, this can't happen. How did this happen? What am I going to do? My initial thoughts were, how am I going to tell my parents I can't? Because I feel as though I've really disappointed them. I've got my future. What am I going to do now? Did you like hide it in your bag so your parents wouldn't see you? Like, oh, how? absolutely. Yeah, I had everything hid. It was a very scary moment. I did not want to tell any of them. I, I kept this as my own secret. That's a huge burden. Yes, yes. Andy felt utterly alone, precisely at the moment that she learned that she was not alone. She didn't know how John, the father, would react. Okay, here's this guy that I really like. How am I going to tell him, and how is this going to affect our relationship? Andy couldn't sleep. She couldn't stop thinking about her pregnancy. She couldn't stop working out how the conversation with John was going to go. How should she bring it up? What should she say? Played it over and over in my head, and when I finally got the courage, I mean, it just... It, it was just really difficult. Felt like somebody punched me in my stomach when he was like, we can't do this. And it hurt because here's somebody that I really cared about. And I thought he really cared about me as well. So why wouldn't he want to have our child? And that threw a whole nother thing into the mix because now what? Now what? After the conversation with John, Andy knew she was on her own. She was 18, living in her parents' house, and attending college classes. She decided to get some advice. There was a Planned Parenthood just a little bit outside of our town, and it was just the facility. It didn't have the abortion center there. So I thought, well, if I go there, maybe they can just give me some advice because I didn't have anybody to talk to. That's how I felt. I didn't have anybody to talk to. So I went in, they presented things to me that made it sound really good. It was something that, that I wanted to hear, but yet I didn't want to hear because they were going to solve my problem, but in a way that I really didn't want to solve it. There were lots of promises. It's a quick and easy procedure. 
it'll be over before you know it. You can go back to a normal life. Nobody has to know about it. You've got your whole future ahead of you. There'll be other children. They just laid out this whole big plan. And, and I thought, wow, it sounds so easy. This this will be it. I'm sure you can see how relieving this would be for a scared 18-year-old girl. She went from carrying this secret all alone to promises that it would just disappear. Being there, I felt, well, yes, they do care about me. And then I look back on it, and I, and I think they really didn't give me any other options. Everything laid before me led to abortion. There was nothing else. I mean, nothing else was talked about. Andy scheduled her abortion. The day arrived, and John picked her up at her family's house. And they drove 40 minutes away to get to the abortion facility. I remember walking up the steps, and there was a group of people outside praying. And every time the door opened, I could hear them. Um, they try and, of course, hand me literature and different things. Um, and I just really wanted to go right by. But then when, when I was inside, there was a part of me that was like, I could just get up and run out there to these people. She could have. Those are our people, probably. Christians who were praying for the women and their children, who would listen to Andy at her struggles and support her in making a different choice. But that is not what happened here. Andy and John sat in silence in the waiting room. Abortion clinics are very dark. Not dark like lights, but very dark. And you can feel that darkness and that evil inside. And as much as I wanted to get up and run out the door, I felt like there was some kind of force just really holding me there. When my name was called, I just walked through those doors. I'm not going to describe anything, but one of the things that they throw out there is a quick and easy procedure even though it may be a quick procedure when you're in there, it doesn't feel that way to a person. It felt like it was taking forever. There was nothing easy about it. It was very painful. I just focused on something on the wall just to get through it. I never met the person that was going to perform the abortion. He just came in the room ready to go to do the procedure and there was no discussion of what was going to happen what was going to take place there was nothing and when it was done he was gone and then I was led to this hallway and there were women on these hospital type gurneys some of them moaning some crying and I didn't want to look at them because I was Ashamed, I waited for that feeling of relief that they told me about. We sat, I don't even know how long, on these gurneys, and nobody came around to ask you, are you okay? Can I get you anything? Do you need anything? Do you have any questions? Nothing. The only interaction that I had with staff was when it was time for me to go. They take you and they check to make sure that you're, everything looks normal. And we're ready to go, handed me a piece of paper and said, if you have any problems, call your physician. 
John meets her and leads her to the car for the 40-minute drive home. They don't talk. What could you say, really? There was no conversation on the way home at all. And then you walk in the door at home. Hey, Mom, Dad. Like, pretty much. You just faked just, it to yeah, make it. Yeah, I went to my room. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so And that was kind of it for that relationship. Our relationship changed the moment I walked through that door to have the abortion. So how did the relationship end? Pretty much right away. Because um, I could not stand to look at him. I didn't want him to touch me. I just, I think I grew to hate him at that moment. I just grew to hate him. And that was it. So Andy went to her room and didn't tell anyone where she'd been. But something was wrong. I started getting sick and I developed a fever and it just got sky high. And I just remember laying in the bed in my room, just, I was so sick. And my mom was like, are you okay? And I was like, no. And my fever was so high, she was like, we're going to the emergency room. So um, I was brought to the emergency room and I guess she probably came across my papers in my purse. So that's how she found out things. And then um, I was in the hospital for, for probably a little over a week, I had to get IV antibiotics. So I was very sick. Once Andy had recovered, her mom wanted to talk about the abortion. In fact, she called a family meeting. I would not recommend that, by the way. Andy herself also tried to handle her pain in not good ways. It started with drinking. I'd go out, and I started going out frequently drinking a lot. When that didn't seem to work, drugs crept in. I did a lot of drugs and also it opened up a promiscuous lifestyle because it it filled a void. I wanted to feel like I was loved again. Even though I felt different towards men, I wanted to feel like I was loved again. Also, if you had certain drugs, I was going to sleep with you. A huge part of you dies. I mean, a part of me really died that day. And I grew to hate myself. And I would see myself and it was like, I don't like this person. And all the drugs and alcohol just made things a lot better. It was a vicious cycle for years. We've talked about this in other episodes. How we human beings try all sorts of things to try to escape or alleviate pain. There's nothing that really got to the root of the problem. It was just a cover. It was like a Band-Aid. I had this open wound that was just oozing, and the drugs and the alcohol were just this Band-Aid that was put over for a short period of time. All this time, Andy's family kept praying for her and reaching out to help. Yes, we prayed incessantly for Andrea rosaries, novenas. My mother and I went on pilgrimages. We were begging God to help us to save her. Um, We felt that she was on the path of destruction. Yes, we prayed constantly for Andrea. This is Andy's sister. My name is Maria, and I am the sister of 
Andrea. I am her older sister. Maria had just gotten married and moved to Virginia. She asked Andy if she wanted to move in with them. Andrea was always a kind, gentle child, always smiling, never hurting anyone. From a little girl, she always had a spiritual connection to God. But her temperament started to change, and I became alarmed. And given some of the things that were going on, I felt it would was healthy for my mother and healthy for Andrea to bring her here so she could start a new life and get away from some of the toxic situations that she was involved in there in Pennsylvania. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start fresh. Everything's going to be great. And I just found the same people as I left. I got right back into the scene of drinking and drugs. During that cycle of sin, I actually would get pregnant two more times. And I had two more abortions. I really didn't care about myself. You know, I was just very dead. After yet another night of partying and coming to work hungover, Andy was fired. It just hit me like, oh my gosh. I was going in such a downward spiral. I was getting thoughts of suicide, especially after losing my job. It's like, now what do I do? It was a tailspin. This is where the gift of faith that my parents gave me, those seeds, were always there. And I thought, I have to go somewhere. And I went to church in Herndon, St. Joseph's, and I sat in front of the tabernacle. I want us all to think about that for a second. Andy is a young woman whose life has spiraled out of control. She is a mess. And where does she go? A Catholic church. If that isn't God working tangibly in the world, I don't know what is. If you're looking for a miracle, here you go. And I prayed and I said, gotta send me somebody. I need help. And if you don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And just at that moment, a priest walked in. Divine providence, right? I was blessed. I mean, I knew I had to go talk to him. And it took every ounce of strength to go over. Because it's a big thing to say. Oh, I've had three abortions. This is what's going on in my life. But I had to do it. And I went and I sat and talked to him. And he listened. He didn't say anything. He let me talk, which was important because I had to. From that moment, that was sort of like a turning point into changing my life. The priest Andy talked to was just the one that God picked. Jesus wiped away Andy's sins through confession. Confession, yes, it removes the sin, but I think the effects of the sin are with you. It's, It's still like baggage that you're carrying. And it's, it's a continual healing. My journey's not done. I mean, I still have steps to make, and it, it'll be ongoing. The long road to healing began that day. Yes, the sins were forgiven, absolutely. And as St. Therese wrote, sin is consumed as a drop of water cast into a blazing fire. But healing, the process in a human being, that takes time. Because the devil also likes to rear his ugly head and taunt you 
and bring up different things and still put that thought that you're not worthy and uh, all sorts of things that he he likes to bring you down. But um, that's why I think it is important to continue to keep prayerful, go on retreats. Because I mean, there's days where I'll have those different thoughts. And it's like, I can't get to me. You're not going to get to me. In the first burst of energy that Andy got from her experience of freedom from the sin, Andy did what seemed the natural thing to do, join an advocacy group. Because I felt rejuvenated and here I am, I'm forgiven. I've got to let people know I was all set to do things in the pro-life community, but I really wasn't healed because I'd be out there talking or doing things, but I would only talk about one abortion. It took me a long time going, what am I doing? I'm not really helping anybody if I can't be honest with them. I'm not being honest with myself. So I'm doing more harm to myself, and I can't do this. When she called Project Rachel in her diocese for the first time, it was really kind of to brag about how well she was doing. I was still very prideful and arrogant. And, you know, I'm on the phone and I'm saying these things I do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I hung up the phone and I didn't call back for a year because I had to be knocked down a few steps and realize my own pride. I had to ask God for help. Couldn't do this on my own. Let's pause here. What is Project Rachel? Project Rachel Ministry is a ministry of the Catholic Church that helps those who are suffering after abortion People who run the ministry walk with people who suffer and basically bring them to a healing encounter with Christ. This is Mary. My name is Mary McCluskey, and I'm the Assistant Director for Project Rachel Ministry Development in the Pro-Life Secretariat at the USCCB. So when someone calls their Project Rachel office... The opportunity to have someone listen to you and possibly be the first person to really receive your story and to listen with compassion and without judgment. Pouring out your heart to somebody is is difficult and sharing your shame, your grief, your guilt um, is, is it's a, a difficult thing to do. About two-thirds of the dioceses in the U.S. have a formal Project Rachel ministry. But even if your diocese doesn't, every church organization, every church group, should know where to refer people who've had abortions and are seeking healing. This is because Project Rachel is just a formalized way of living out Jesus' mission of healing. There's a beautiful scripture passage, Healing of the Paralytic, where all of his friends get together and carry this man who cannot walk. Literally, break open a roof, destroy a roof to bring this man to Jesus. And that's a beautiful scriptural image for what Project Rachel is. It's a team of people who love someone and see the beauty of this person and say, wow, I'm going to do everything I can to remove all the obstacles possible out of the way so that Christ can encounter this person, love this person, forgive this person, and heal this person. The Project Rachel number isn't only for women who have experienced abortion. Anybody who calls is going to be helped. The father is affected very greatly. 
diocesan ministry team is really equipped and prepared to handle a call from anyone. A father, a grandparent, or a friend who maybe has helped encourage the abortion or drove them to the abortion facility. Anybody who calls, really. So that's what Andy did. She called Project Rachel to say how well she was doing. Then a year later, she called again because she was ready for the work of healing. I called back a year later and went on the retreat, which was tremendous because it really dug deep down into the depths of my soul that there was a lot of baggage and things stuffed down there that had to be brought out. And it was scary because I knew that I had to lay everything out on the table and I have to be honest. But that, my friends, will be on the second part of the episode. But in the meantime, if you or someone you know is looking for confidential help after abortion, please visit the Find Help map on www.hopeafterabortion.org to locate your nearest Diocesan Project Rachel ministry. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, except for the theme music, which is composed and produced by Michael Taylor. And then the new music is from First Com.